Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Get over to Leon Tailoring for that young person who graduated. Congratulations, by the way. And make sure they've got the clothes for that big job interview. Hey, the economy may be good, but you still got to dress for success. And Leon Tailoring, they can help your young person do that with a professional wardrobe and attire that they need. And so all those years of college and getting a degree do not go to waste. So Leon Tailoring, the perfect place to get your young professional off to that start in the world of work. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. Well, are we in a recession or are we not in a recession? It's just one of several questions we got from one of our favorite economists, Michael Hicks, uh, Ball State University. Mike, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to chat with you, sir. Yeah, it's an honor to chat with you again. Uh, thank you. Uh, so let me ask the question. Are we or are we not in a, res in a recession? I don't think we are yet. The uh, official body that calls recession, which is at the National Bureau of Economic Research, uh, nonprofit uh, looks at variables, not just the two quarters of down GDP growth, but they look at consumption, production, and unemployment, so labor market issues, along with wages. And three of, of those four have, have been, been just fine over the past couple of quarters. So, you know, we're still producing a lot of goods. We're still consuming well. Wages are growing uh, is reasonably well compared to the very high inflation that we have. So I don't think we're in one yet, but I think it, it, the chance of us being in a recession sometime in the next 12 months is, is pretty high, better than 50-50. Now, the old definition of, I remember from an economics class, Econ 201, like God, almost 30 years ago, was sort of two periods of negative growth uh, is what defines a recession. Have we, have we had that, or are folks trying to change the, change the definition, or what's going on? Yeah, I mean, that's been the rule of thumb, but it's never been the official de definition. Um, and it, it, to be fair, we wouldn't have been in recession in 2020 with a pandemic by that rule. So the, the NBER really looks at monthly data, and they're looking back uh, to, to over their definition as a sustained period of downward economic activity. Um, and we're certainly slowing. The economy is certainly slowing, but I, I think a lot of the uh, first quarter declines were mostly related to, uh, you know, international trade and some reduction in inventories. So I think a lot of the shock from the pandemic is still wearing off, and I think it's hard to make a clear call about where we are right now. Uh, but uh, the weight of evidence to me is that we're not yet in recession. But again, we've got the Federal Reserve suggesting they're going to be raising interest rates by you know, half a point to a full point for each of the next six weeks uh, cycles through the end of the year. And that's enough, I think, to get us at the cusp of a recession, if not into one. And the Fed has a pretty bad track record of these soft landings, which is what we're hoping for. So I think, you know, a good chance of a recession emerging this winter or next spring. Uh, Mike, let me ask you, Bob, because when we talk about recessions and sort of their impact on the economy, I always kind of wonder if recession was just sort of a naturally occurring thing because when I look back in the past around the around the start of every decade it looks like we have the sort of the, these economic issues either the in the end of the last decade or the start of the next decade yeah um, there I think a lot of evidence that the boom and bust cycle has been around a long time I mean the Bible contains the story of Joseph prognosticating the a boom bust cycle that's what it brought him to the attention of the Pharaoh so you know, I think that, that we should anticipate that there is going to be that sort of boom and bust. It, it, there are benefits to it. It gets rid of bad companies, moves people who from those bad companies into good companies, and there's benefits of a business cycle. 
the fact of the matter is that the methods of mitigating the business cycle that's developed over the past 50 or 100 years have lessened the you know the depth of the downturn, uh, but probably lengthened the period of them. And so we, you know, before the 1960s, we had you know a number of short, sharp recessions, and now we're having uh, longer, less depth. Uh, downturn. And so I think it's something that's always going to be with us. And it, it, it really shouldn't matter an awful lot if you uh, anticipate for them, if you keep your job, if you're well schooled to get another job that in case you disappear. So it's just part of life, I think. Our guest on the program is Ball State economist Michael Hicks. Talk about the economy, recessions, inflation, the whole nine yards. Mike, uh, what can a regular person do to prepare you know, for a recession? Do you, do you save money? Do you pay off your debt? What, what, what does a regular person do? Well, for this recession, I think part of the issue is that you're going to see higher interest rates accompany the downturn, at, the, at least at the beginning of the downturn, because we have such high inflation. So you ought to really be dealing with the inflation. You know, this is a, a potentially a good time to invest in companies. If you have excess money sitting around, it would be a good time to pay off your credit card debt before those interest rates start rising. And so those are just common sense tools to, to deal with the downturn. You know, over the long run, you know, I'm, 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 I've been in the economy for, you know, working now for a little over 40 years, and that's five recessions. So I think the average American ought to look to themselves, you know, living through, uh, you know, five, six, seven recessions over a 50-year work life. And, and the real goal is to find an occupation that is, insulates you from the downturn. So if you're in an occupation that people still need, even when there's a recession, you're more likely to be unaffected by it. And so I think that's a, you know, a, a decent way to think about these things. And downturns uh, destroy jobs, but they also result in jobs being created somewhere else afterwards. And being ready for that is a function of schooling and preparation for a changing economy. So a lawyer, political commentator, writer, talk show host fit that category? We've always had too many of those, and we will <laughs> always continue to have too many of those. So, yeah, no, I you know, think about people who do service work with people, um, you know, um, uh, people don't stop getting sick. They don't stop needing to go to school. Um, those things tend to be the case. We're really good at manufacturing and making things, and I think a recession with high interest rates is going to really – clobber Indiana disproportionately. And so we've been hanging along, you know, the recovery here um, about at the, the national average, our 10 or 12 year growth is substantially below the national average. I think a downturn with high interest rates that causes people to move away from the consumption of goods is obviously going to hurt the state that produces a disproportionate amount of goods as part of their economy. And so I think that's the, the worry as well. I don't see big uh, factory closings like we saw in the early part of the century that sort of laid waste to large parts of the Midwest. Uh, but I also don't see manufacturing doing very well over the next 18 to 24 months with this downturn. Uh, Mike, is any part of Indiana or Indiana's uh, economic sector more recession-proof than others, or is the state going to be impacted the same way regardless as to where you live or what you do? Right. So a recession that's combined with inflation is damaging to the public sector. So if you're a school teachers are going to have a double digit pay cut over the, the last year and this coming fiscal year combined. So that's really tough. And so state and, and municipal employees, healthcare sectors continue to grow during downturns, uh, including during the pandemic and the last year. 
I think pressure to change, to reform their model uh, is in the monopolization here in Indiana is putting some pressure on their earnings, yet they've done fairly well. Uh, People, even through downturns, continue to consume services. So, you know, uh, the restaurant industry, the hotel industry is likely to continue to sustain during this. And then business services, when businesses are, they still need things done, but they're going to outsource them to a consultancy instead of in-house work tend to continue to do well. Uh, the, the big issue is this, this downturn is different than the last one is that I think, you know, we're going to see interest rates by, at five or 6% from the fed. That means borrowing costs on a mortgage at seven, 8% potentially by the end of the year. So that's going to clobber the construction industry. It's going to clobber manufacturing. It's going to clobber, you know, some logistics because we're not going to be moving as much stuff. Uh, during a downturn that has, you know, sort of slow economic growth and high prices and high interest rates. So that's that's what I think is potential coming in the next year or so. Um, it could be, you know, shorter and less painful than I thought. It just depends how good the Fed is at timing this thing. And they've not. It, it's not something I think human beings are good at timing. I think the the, the technology and the information that we would need to perfectly time this is not it's not obtainable and so uh, i think the fed's doing the best they can but the getting us out of that pandemic really uh, rocked the boat and we're still picking up water as it goes back and forth our guest on the program today is our good friend mike hicks mike's is an economist at ball state university so we're just talking about uh indiana's economy and how things are going uh, mike want to change gears a little bit and talk about uh inflation uh, obviously, uh, gas prices are, are a big deal. Uh, we'll say a year ago, they were like $4.64. Uh, today, they're about uh, almost like uh, $4.40. So almost sort of, uh, they're, they're continuing to drop. Uh, first of all, let me let me take that back. How are we doing with them? How is Indiana dealing with inflation? Let's start there. Then we'll get into my gas question. Yeah, no. Well, gas is a big part of it. So there's really, I think, three parts of inflation. And the biggest part is just overspending with the Pandemic Recovery Act of the spring of 2020. It was probably twice the size that it needed to be. And it came on the back of the biggest stimulus ever, which was the CARES Act, which, you know, in the Trump administration. So I'm just, that's not a partisan jab. If You know, the there are very few senators and members of Congress who didn't vote for the, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the CARES Act, and the Pandemic Recovery Act. And so anybody who did so has some guilt in the inflation that we have now. At the same time, gas prices are, are, are really affect are affected by the war in Ukraine and this excess money that's floating around the economy. And so the war in Ukraine and the, the limits that we're placing on exports of petroleum from Russia caused gas prices to go up. They're going back down now because OPEC is increasing production. And that those gas prices also then bump up inflation for everything else because you got to drive goods to uh, – you know, they're, they're delivered. The workers need, are paying more for gas, so they need more wages to be willing to work in a place. And so high gas prices that are caused by war tend to bleed out into the rest of the economy. And we're seeing those gas prices back off a little bit as petroleum production increases – and that's going to slow inflation a little bit, as will less consumption over the coming months. So Indiana is paying a, a price for it like every other state, and we're considering legislation that potentially could make it worse or 
uh, make things easier for consumers. Uh, before we get to that part, uh, other consumption part, uh, how much of this uh, lower gas price are basically the result of supply and demand? You know, summer's almost over, kids almost back in school, a lot of folks are have taken their vacations, you, you have all that going on, and also you have a lot of that sort of vented up uh, from the pandemic, no one wants to go anywhere or do anything. A lot of that is sort of uh, started, started way back down again to, to pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, I think that's that's part of it. Um, certainly, you know, the vacations that were delayed two years ago were taken last year. There were a lot taken this year. Um, and we're still in the summer travel month. So here in Indiana, of course, school's back this week. Uh, but people still go to the fair. And for most of the rest of the country where schools are still two or three weeks away from opening, there's still travel going on. You know, I don't think we're going to see a big drop in consumption until after September. But if you look at the state's uh, numbers on their the dollars from their excise tax, their the sales are down and have been for the last couple of months. So five dollar and twenty five cent a gallon gas is certainly slowing uh, the consumption by by consumers out there who are a little bit more wary or more anxious about the price of gas. And which gets into my next question with the legislature uh, on the Senate bill. As we have this conversation this week, uh, the Senate uh, basically uh, froze the sales tax on gasoline to two to three cents per gallon as to what it is. Uh, right now, but the House did not. Uh, what what are, are lawmakers doing? Doing a good job with dealing with inflation, or are we just putting more money in the economy? Because we're going back and forth on with freeze utility tax, or you know, folks doing a twenty dollar uh, re, uh, automatic refund. Help us out here, Mike. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think the automatic refund is a bad idea for a, a variety of reasons. The, the first one is it is inflationary. The it it is enough to raise inflation by another percent, percent and a half over 12 months and just delay the reduction in prices as that money is going to be consumed very quickly. You know, if you send money back uh, to the Hicks household, you send me back, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I'm going to, if I ever get my money, I'm going to take the wife out to a couple of restaurants. Um, and most folks are going to spend that money. The history of people saving that or investing it is very sketchy. So I think that money is just fueling inflation. That was the, the house proposal for, and the one that governor Holcomb favored. The Senate proposal, I actually think is, I, I'm surprised at its wisdom. Uh, the it, Part of what we're experiencing with gas prices in Indiana is that we are, are adjusting the price of, uh, in, of uh, gas to inflation, and that's causing our taxes, to go, our gas, gas taxes to go up. And I think the, the likelihood that we'll see the prices ratchet back down because of the war uh, you know, the excess production here is not the sort of traditional inflation that the that law was designed to deal with. And so I think we'll do – I think the, the, the short answer is I think the Senate's proposal is not likely to fuel inflation, but it should, should make it a little bit easier for consumers over the next year while the, 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 the governor's proposal is just an inflationary uh, – hit to the economy that I think will largely do nothing to help consumers in the state. Michael Hicks, Ball State University with us for a few more minutes on the program today. Uh, so, Mike, let me ask you, so what should, uh, what should lawmakers do with that $6 billion uh, surplus that we have? Should they pay down debt? Should they give it back to the taxpayers? Should they use it to cover rising costs? But from an economic perspective, uh, what should the government do? Right. So the fact of the matter is most of that's, that that's money illusion. That's not you know, if you adjust that for inflation and the uh, the amount that the government's going to cost to provide services in over the next couple of years, most of that's not a real big surplus. 
And so I think the smartest thing they could do is to pay off some of the debt that we've accrued in the public pensions and elsewhere. If there are some long-term investments that we need in in some some areas, construction, uh, water and sewage, matching funds for available transportation infrastructure bill that was passed, and the the uh, you know lighter federal bill that's going to pass on on you know green building and the like those would be areas of important state matching funds you know at the same time we just have to recognize that that teachers right now in Indiana it had dropped its its pay for teachers by about 17% in real terms over the, the decade leading up to 2020 2021 the state threw extra money into it that money is now gone through inflation and so it's going to cost more to educate Hoosier children next year and the year after. And I think walking into the budget session of 2022 with a, a double-digit gap in school funding is a is a big mistake. I think it would be far better to put some of that money directly back into schools because it's, it's, it's going to be very difficult to hire and maintain teachers this year. And I think without putting money into education, you're going to see an awful lot of pain at the K through 12 level over this year. And, and, and that's going to bleed over. It's, you know, it's not just in the operational funding. It's going to be school buses and transportation and the whole nine yards. And I just don't think people are sitting down and thinking fully about the inflationary effect on the state budget in ways that would cause them to be very cautious about returning taxes right now. Uh, Mike, final question for you. Uh, as Indiana lawmakers uh, sort of have the, the abortion debate, uh, do, you see, do you see any sort of economic impact from that? Uh, like whether it was RIFRA uh, or the daylight savings time that had sort of an economic component to it. Uh, should lawmakers be worried about the economic impact of uh, whatever they do with abortion legislation? Yeah, I think so. Indiana, despite what you hear in the rhetoric, is not has had a very sluggish decade and a half. It's been a very bad 21st century for the Indiana economy. And so things that are done that would disincentivize business relocation here, would disincentivize our ability to attract and retain more college graduates, are going to weaken the Indiana economy. So I think it's a real uh, problem to consider the effect of this on economic growth. And I'm sure that's not top of mind for a lot of people in the debate, but it, it matters and so that's just got to be part of the consideration here, whether or not Indiana wants to be part of a, a modern economy and how, how you strike some sort of compromise that makes that, that possible. All right. Well, our guest on the program today has been our good friend, Michael Hicks, a professor of economics at Ball State University. Michael, friend, as always, sir, thank you very much for being with us. Always good to chat with you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.